Welcome to the CGOE Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we look back at an insane week six in the CFL, one of the crazier weekends we've seen in some time in that league. And also Mark Arndt of Tennis Manitoba joins me to relive a fantastic Wimbledon final between Carlos Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic. Feels like it's got some historical implications, I think. That's all coming up on the podcast. Regular listeners to this show will know that every Monday or if there's a, a long weekend, it'll come on a Tuesday. I do a, a recap of the previous weekend CFL actions. Usually like three or four minutes. Maybe one game is good and the rest are duds. There have been a lot of low-scoring games this season, a lot of gross contests, but after five weeks of borderline preseason action, folks, the league has arrived. An incredible three-night stretch of action that has me very excited to get into work today and get this recap ready for you. So without further ado, I present to you this highly anticipated Week 6 CFL recap, the longest one I think I've ever done. It's over seven minutes, but it's worth it. Accompanied, of course, by rock cover music of Pokemon theme track. We start the chaos in Edmonton, where the Elks were looking to avoid losing a 20th straight game on their home field. 20! Hosting a Hamilton team that isn't very good, but this may be Edmonton's best chance for some time. A 6-0 lead late in the first half of a really bad game when, well, things start to happen. Hamilton gets into the end zone en route to a 10-6 halftime lead, but what's this? Taylor Cornelius to Kyron Moore, a 54-yard touchdown? Wow, but the Tabbies immediately respond with a touchdown drive to retake the lead, and then Cornelius just spontaneously combusts. He's in some trouble now. Can he get out of it? Throws the ball away. It's intercepted. It's intercepted and taken inside the 10, inside the 5, and that'll be a touchdown for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, a pick 6. And uh, thank Things have gone from pretty good to pretty awful. Morley Scott with the call in 6.30. Chad Cornelius just give wraps a pick six for Stavros Katzentonis here. Take it. And then Hamilton gets a field goal and another touchdown, and it's a 24-point quarter for the Tabbies. Even though Matthew Shields got hurt, and now Taylor Powell is in? as they take a 34-13 lead into the fourth. And so you know what that means. It's garbage time. Cornelius is out. Jared Daggy is in. They get a couple touchdowns, a field goal at 16 seconds left to make it an eight-point game, but... Onside kick is recovered by the Tabbies. It is too little. It is too late. 37-29 the final. And yes, a 20th straight home loss for the Elks. Yikes. To Montreal Friday and the Alouettes hosting the unbeaten Argonauts who are coming off their second bye week. Yes, second already. They've only played three games. A sleepy start. Toronto up 7-3 late in the first half when Cody Fajardo hits Tyler Sneed for the score. Just before the halftime horn, so Montreal takes the lead into the break. 13-10. Al's late in the third now when Toronto finds some offense. Chad Kelly to David Ungerer, and they're in front. And they had a field goal, so they're up 20-13 after three. Sneed with the second TD of the game to tie it at 20, and then all hell breaks loose with just over five minutes left. Kelly to the end zone, and an incredible one-handed catch for the score by DeMonte Coxie. Toronto's up by seven. Less than two minutes later, Fajardo to Sneed for a third time, a hat-trick for Sneed, and it's tied again. But then Kelly hits Unger again with less than two minutes left, and the Argos go back in front for good this time. Montreal cannot match that, and the Argos now 4-0 thanks to a 35-27 game. A fun finish, or that won't be topped this weekend. Off we go to Ottawa, and what seems to be a pretty clear mismatch between the Blue Bombers and Red Blacks. Starting Dustin Crum at quarterback, their fourth different QB to start this season. I get the feeling this isn't going to be pretty, and uh, it's not. Bombers get a punt single, and then a long field goal, and then a Dakota Prukop sneak TD, and it's 11-0 after one, and now it's 18-0 thanks to a Nick Dembski TD. 
Yeah, this is bad, and Dustin Crumb doesn't really have it. Ottawa looks terrible. They get a couple field goals. All right, but then Drew Waltarski hauls in another TD to make it 25-6 after three, and now 25-9 in the fourth. This is a this is a bad game. Ottawa's not good. This is where Brady Oliveira normally takes over, and the O-line mows down the opposition and take care of business, except Clark tries a deep shot. Dalton Schoen is open, but it hits him in the hands, and it falls incomplete, and I'm sure it won't come back to haunt them. Red Black's offense finally puts together a nice drive, but on third down in the red zone at this point in the game, down 16, you have to go for it, and they don't get it. Bombers immediately get a huge gain, but then Oliveira fumbles. Ottawa recovers. Ah, I probably won't come back to haunt them either. Another decent drive by Ottawa, but again, they get turned down in the red zone, so it stays 25-9 and the three-minute warning. Just got to get a first down or two, but then Kalars throws it behind Wolitarski, who's told to never give up on the ball, so he reaches out and tips it, and it's collected and returned for six, and that's not great. Mm, they get the two-point convert, too. Okay, so we have a, a game now? Oh, boy. Bombers get a first down, and then on second and seven with 90 seconds left, they hand it off to Oliveira and he gets stuffed. So Crump gets it back with a minute, deep in his own end, down by eight. Good luck. But the Bomber D's been out there a lot in this quarter. Maybe they're a bit tired as Crump hits a pass for five yards and then 16 and then seven and then 12 and then 17 and then 25. Who is this guy? It's down to the Winnipeg 12 with nine seconds left and the time winds down and Crump sees an opening. He dashes for the end zone and he runs over Abu Dhabi Soiree and that's a touchdown with zeros on the clock. What? And they get the two-pointer to tie, and we need overtime. Are you kidding me? Bombers go first in overtime, and just like most of the fourth quarter, things don't go well. Kolaris is sacked on second down, and at least Sergio Castillo hits the 48-yarder to stay perfect, but Crum has the magic. He gets free and sprints to freedom. A 29-yard score, a walk-off, and Ottawa, who had nine points in the first 57 minutes of the game. They scored 22 in the final three-plus OT to steal a win for the Bombers, who just absolutely, totally, completely blew it. I'm just speechless. The most improbable of comeback victories that's incomprehensible. Indeed it is, Doug Brown. So how on earth could the nightcap between the Stamps and Rough Riders and Regina live up to that? Well, Mario Alford returning a punt for a score is fun. Sask up 7-zip and now 10-6 thanks to some field goals when Calgary comes up clutch. Two TD passes from Jake Mayer in the final 237 of the half as the visitors up 20-10 at the break. Neither offense doing much in the third, and then Alford's like, you know what, I got this. Scores another punt return touchdown. That dude is dangerous. Three-point game into the fourth. Another good finish could be coming, but oh, oh no, oh God. Trevor Harris scrambling for a huge gain, and he gets folded in half, and his legs been weird, and we didn't really need to see that slow-mo replay, did we? Immediate pain. We find out later, a bone in his knee is broken. He needs surgery. That's not great. So it's Mason fine time. They get Brett Lother a field goal chance from 54 yards, but it's short, and to make batters worse, Calgary returns it 86 yards, setting up another touchdown, and back up 10 they are. But Fine takes the team right down the field for a touchdown, and we have a game again with under three to go. Calgary adds a field goal. 90 seconds left. A touchdown could win it for the Riders, but this is not going well at all. First down, sacked. Second down, sacked. Third and 23. Good luck. Fine, he's one down the field, and oh my god, it's tipped and caught by Tevin Jones, and he's going to score a touchdown, 69 nice yards from Fine. That's impossible. Just knock it down, dude. Riders take the lead. How are they coping on 770 CHQR? Three guys back there. We had our hands on the football, and it bounced off our guy into the one rider there, and he could walk into the end zone. Heartbreaking, Mark. Heartbreaking. It's crushing Jones with the touchdown. 
In a Zania play, as you will see. Just a disaster for Calgary, except there's still a half minute to go from Calgary's 37. Mayor to Luther Hakunovanu for 22 and then to Odom Stukes for eight. Get down. He does. And that's all they need for Rene Paradez, one of the best kickers the CFL has ever seen from 50 yards, dead red down the middle. And the Riders, now they are happy for a couple minutes, but Calgary with a huge 33-31 win. The Riders deal with the loss of the game and their QB. Woo! Take a breath, have a drink. What a weekend of CFL football and what a recap. A recap that is now over. Now to recap the recap, looking at the the Blue Bombers and what they did in that game, it's, it is incomprehensible that it happened, but you just look at so many different plays that if they go differently, they win that game. If Dalton Schoen catches that ball, it's, there's no game to be played. It's over. Brady Oliveira doesn't fumble, it's over. Zach Kolaris, if, if Drew Wolitarski doesn't tip that pass... If he just if it doesn't touch it at all, it's probably going out of bounds, and they win the game. But the defense seemed gassed at the end, and that's not a great loss. And you can talk to Mike O'Shea about that. How about this too? On that Saskatchewan touchdown, Craig Dickinson was mad at himself, or uh, no, Tevin Jones. Let's see. The quote was from Tevin Jones. He had this incredible catch right but they're mad that he didn't slide when he made that catch with seconds to go they're down six you score the touchdown you trust your defense Calgary had two completions to get there Jones said quote we should have won the game at the time I thought we'd won but I should have looked at the clock and at least gone down at the one or something like that so we get a little more time in the moment of that though You're thinking, oh my God, I just caught the ball. We're going to win the game. You cannot blame Jones for that. Heck no. You just can't, cannot, that cannot be the way it goes. You have a defense. Trust your defense to make a stop. You score that touchdown every time. Also, now Trevor Harris is out. Matthew Schultz is on the six-game injured list. How many quarterbacks are left in the CFL? That's not great. Also, unders, a lot of unders in the first five weeks if you're a gambling person. If you bet unders this week, you have no money left. There was a lot of points. In this week's schedule, Edmonton 0-6 at 4-2 Winnipeg Thursday night. You wonder if the Winnipeg Blue Bombers will be mad and just beat the absolute heck out of Edmonton. Hamilton starting Taylor Powell at quarterback against the unbeaten Argos Friday night in Hamilton. Saskatchewan at BC Saturday's a fun one. Ottawa Calgary Sunday. Interesting. Both 2-3, and three, so... CFL finally had a marquee weekend. Absolutely. Fantastic. Rodgers up 6-4 on the Orioles in the bottom of the eighth. Cleveland all over the Pirates, 9-0 in the seventh. Also in the American League tonight, the Rays and Rangers tied at two in the seventh. The uh, Blue Jays come into action. They're idle tonight. Uh, They're in the second wild card spot. They're five back of Baltimore for the first spot. They're two clear of Boston, who's currently the first team out. Uh, and the Yankees also two games behind Houston. Uh, Boston in Oakland tonight. The Yankees are at the Angels, and the Houston Astros are not playing tonight. The Gold Eyes are on the All-Star break right now. They're back Friday. Uh, the All-Star game in uh, Milwaukee this year. Let's turn back to tennis now, because yesterday's final between Carlos Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic, I believe, deserves a second visit 
And we are joined now by Mark Arndt of Tennis Manitoba. We usually have Mark Arndt to a preview action, but I thought what happened yesterday was was worth looking at again, Mark, because what we saw was the match that we'd been waiting for for a while between the guy who's right now, the I think, the probably the, the greatest men's player of all time against a 20-year-old who seems to be the complete package. And Carlos Alcaraz winning that match yesterday. First of all, how did you consume that match? Ah, you know what? It was such a long match. And uh, so entertaining, like right from wire to wire. I mean, uh, so I had to pause a few times uh, because, you know, having kids and obligations and things like that. So did things, but, you know, just watching it, I was just, I couldn't, I couldn't believe because I, I didn't think that, that Alcaraz had what it took to uh, to actually beat uh, Djokovic, to dethrone him, and especially given what happened in in, Fran- in Paris at the French Open, I didn't think that he'd be able to do that. I mean, that's a huge, um, a massive uh, mental hurdle to overcome. And for him to do it the way he did it emphatically and holding his serve at those pressure pressure points in the fifth set, I, I'm I'm still I'm still kind of stunned that it happened. To be quite honest. First set goes to Djokovic 6-1. I, I watched that while doing some dishes, and I'm like, you know, kind of paying a little bit of attention, but it's clear that this match, Djokovic is, is running away with it. And then, it, you know, second set, very high level of tennis. It's about a 90-minute set. A lot of long games back and forth, but no one really breaks serve. And yeah. Djokovic has won, I think, 15 straight tie breaks at, at majors, and he's up 3 nothing in this tie break, and you're thinking, all right, well, he's going to win this. He's going to go up two yeah. sets to none, and this is over. Misses a couple, like, just rally backhands. The set's over, and then he gets broken early in the third, and you're thinking, wait a second. I, I'm, I'm seeing something I'm not used to seeing. Is Novak Djokovic actually human? Yeah, and that was the turning point. Like you hit it right on the head. That that tiebreaker, I I thought it exactly like you. Know, I was starting to lose interest. It's like, okay, here we go again. It's going to be three straight, and and that's what I thought. I thought it's going to be, it'll be three straight for him, or it's going to go um, the distance. And and at that tiebreaker, I, I was just saying to to people I was with, uh, to my family, just saying, you know what, this one's over. And uh, and then that happened, and he gave away. Uh, he pretty much had, he had a couple of sitters that he missed and, and that truly was the turning point. And then he went for a break for an extended break, which I don't get why they give him as much time as they do to go and change and all that jazz. But, um, you know, I, I kind of, I, I thought, okay, maybe he's stalling, he's doing what he's doing. And then I, I Alcaraz just came out and just gave it to him again. And, and I said, hold on, you know what, this, uh, this is interesting now. And, and still until the last moment, is played until he actually loses. I still don't believe it's going to happen because he's come back so many times. And yeah. for that to happen again, I, I, I have, I, I think I have to rewatch it again and especially the key moments and, and just to really take it in. Cause at the time when you're watching and, and you know, you're, you're going through the emotions with the players. So it, it was uh, very captivating. Well, watching going into the, the match, I was wondering if it would have like a, a no, a Nadal Federer, feel to it like they met three times in the Wimbledon finals before Nadal beat Federer in that epic 2008 match that I think a lot of people of this vintage say is the best match they've ever seen in 06 it goes to four sets 05 it goes to five sets with Federer winning both of those matches but he keeps getting closer and you're thinking okay Alcaraz is gonna have to lose a couple first and then you know Djokovic wobbles to start the third set and then they they have with Alcaraz up a break 3-1 a 27-minute service game with Djokovic serving. Have you 
just, I, I mean, anecdotally, have you ever seen a game that long? No, I haven't. And and uh, and the stat, I think the whole, well, the first set took like 30 minutes to play. So this was like three minutes shy of a full set was one game back and forth. And granted, I'm going to say, Djokovic takes, Ike bounces the ball how many, 90 times before a serve. So that adds to yeah, that's true. that. And this is why when I PVR his matches, it's for that reason, because it takes so long to watch because of all the ball bouncing. So that did take, but the, 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 the quality in that just going back and forth, the players couldn't win two in a row. And it, it's tough to win when they're playing at such a high level to put to string two points together is very, very tough as witnessed in that one game. And it was such a crucial game. And, and for, for, for it to go the way it did, I mean, it set the tone for the rest of the, uh, for the rest of the match. And I think it set the tone for Djokovic to show that, that this kid, and I think in the interview, interviews after on court, Djokovic said, you know, I, I thought I only had to worry about you on on clay and, and on hard court, but now I have to worry about you on grass as well. And so for him to admit that, to say that in, in public is uh, is big. And uh, and I think Alcaraz went in, in into that match and he's saying, you know what, I'm going to show that I can stay with this guy, that I can beat him. And and he had the the confidence, and, and I'm not going to say cockiness or arrogance, but he had the confidence. To, I, I've got what it takes to be, beat this guy. I'm as fit as him, if not more fit. And I've got the power, the strength, and the staying power to do it. And mentally, I can do it as well. I just, I'll show you. And he did. And it's it's awesome that he, like you said, he didn't take the three matches or so that Nadal did to catch Federer. Here he did it in almost one fell swoop. It's a late, let's go, let's get this done. So, but know. as you mentioned, you know, you don't believe it's going to happen until it does because you know Djokovic yeah. loses that game and and just takes a knee on the rest of the set. But yeah. as he does, he he comes back in the fourth. You know, he saves a couple break points, gets a break, and he steadies. And you're thinking, well. Here he goes. This is going to be it. But then Alcaraz yeah. gets the break in the fifth. Djokovic just smashes his racket into the uh, net post and is shaking his wrist for like three minutes afterwards. And you just think, okay, Alcaraz, is the moment going to be too big for him? He's 20 years old. He turned 20 in May. But no, he, he was awesome in his service games. And that kind of fearlessness, yeah. Mark, is that has that been what the tennis world has been waiting for on the men's side because we've had these big three dominate tennis for so long, keep waiting for someone to break through. Finally, it's this com- guy who's just not afraid of the moment, not afraid to take chances. And he seems to have the whole well-rounded game to, to maybe be the guy for the next, who knows how long. Yeah. If he stays away from injuries, because you see he's built solid he's built like Nadal and, and that was Nadal's downfall is, his body gave up after a while, which, you know, you can see that. So if he can stay injury free, oh gosh, yes. Like he's, he's going to hit, he's going to hit 20 slams. And again, luck has to be on his side with injuries and, and, and things like that. But yeah, he's here to stay. And he's right now, his coach is Juan Carlos Ferrero, who's an awesome guy, number one, and uh, obviously a very good coach. And, and the mindset, I don't know if it's just, and and he knows he knows the history of tennis. He knows what what he was up against, and it's not like he's ignorant to to what has been accomplished by these players in the past twenty years. But I mean, he just he he has that that factor that 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 you can't you can't teach it, you can't coach that, and he just has that mentality where 
yeah, I'm as good as these guys. I've put in my time to be as good as these guys. And, and he has what the Zverevs and the, that, that next gen that they called that they didn't really do anything. That next gen has passed. And this guy is right behind that next gen of, of players. They didn't have that confidence. And they were still, I feel, in awe of the big three. And whereas Alcaraz coming from Spain, really being close to Nadal and watching how Nadal did things, I mean, he's, he, he, did what he did and then some and and i think he he will surpass uh he will surpass uh the 20 grand slam mark i'm predicting but i've been wrong in the past but he has what it takes right now absolutely i don't think we're putting too much on him he's got two majors at 20 and that we see it in the women's game sure like when yeah. young women come along all the time we just don't see that in the men's side of thing a quick a thought on, on novak Djokovic before we move on to the women's side of things yeah we were we've seen him play in more major finals than anybody has, and we're just expecting him to win all the time. I think really gracious in defeat against Alcaraz. I don't get the feeling. My dad texted me, "This could be the end of Djokovic," and I'm like, "No, it's not. I, this guy is so motivated." And it, I mean, no, Alcaraz is the defending champ at the U.S. Open. I get that. Djokovic didn't play yeah. in it last year, but until yeah. he's retired, I, I just I'm going to assume he's going to be right up there with Alcaraz as the two that are just going to dominate tennis for the next few years still. I agree. You know what? It, it will. Djokovic is not going away. Don't be fooled by what happened. You saw the anger and the way he smashed that racket. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, that's, that's a fire inside of him. This probably motivates him even more to come back during the summer hardcourt season leading up to the U S open. Uh, and, and he will be back with a vengeance. I'm telling you. And it's just like that feeling you and I had and everybody during the match yesterday until it's over, it ain't over. And, uh, and that's what it's going to be with his career until an injury gets him or just age gets him. Uh, he will be there right till the end and he will be battling. And, and this will be the, ne- that'll be a rivalry between these two for the next few years, I believe. So it's, uh, It'll be fun to watch, and I'm I'm so happy because we needed this so badly in the, on the men's side. Whereas on the women's side, I mean, you and I spoke before uh, before the tournament, of course, and and we said, okay, one of flip a coin, one of twenty are going to win it. And look, <laughs> an unseeded player. We didn't have Vondrosova as one of the twenty. Let's be <laughs> no, honest. No, 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 and that's a great thing. Like unseated first in history, I believe. Yep, at Wimbledon, first unseated woman in history to to win the the title and. And it was, I feel like watching the coverage of it, which we, in Canada, we get the ESPN feed. It, yeah. it was almost all about Anjabur losing because she was the sixth seed. She's been to three of the last five major finals. This was supposed to be her day and she just didn't have it. It wasn't not a great match to watch because she just, yeah. you could tell she was sad out there and, and she didn't have her best. She had to beat a, a bunch of major champs on the way in a ton of high seeds that she had to come back to beat, including Bianca Andreescu yeah. uh, in a match that it looked like Bianca would be, could be able to take, but uh, I, is it good for the women's game that you just we? Uh, here's a stat for you. Okay, I I, I said this earlier. Since Rafael Nadal won his first major, there have been ten men that have won majors. Period. And Alcaraz is the sixth to win two. There have been thirty-one women in that time win a major title, and and a lot of them were Serena, but, but uh, beyond the thirty-one, just having that lack of uh, a a true like number one, a true person they're all going for an opportunity that any 20 can win is it better that there's one or two or is it good that anybody can win a tournament or emiratakadu could win a tournament you've got a bianca andreski winning a tournament and you've got this weekend marquette of androsova winning a tournament yeah i mean there's two sides to the argument two ways to look at it i guess 
And um, it, it's nice because it gives everybody at the, at, the, at the start line, everybody has a chance to win, and, and they all know it. So that makes, I think, the, the caliber, the quality of tennis is better. When you know that there's a Serena Williams that you have to face, it's like, eh, okay, I'll only go this far, and, and that's it. But here, they know that... Um, you know what? Everybody has a chance to win. Anybody in that draw has a chance to win this, the, the tournament. And without having that major obstacle, that that beacon, I guess at the end, that that you know, okay, she's supposed to win, and she probably will because she's just better than us. The only way she loses, I'm referring to Serena Williams, is is if she beats herself. Whereas now it's wide open to the point where. Caroline Wozniacki, who's coming out of retirement, like she sees that as well. She goes, well, if Von Drosova can win Wimbledon, I can win it, even though I've been out of the game for a couple of years, having kids and, and whatnot. So um, so in that respect, it's great because the parity is fantastic for the sport and for the players themselves. But as far as from a marketing perspective, I mean, to have that that one stellar person that's always there helping market the sport and, and the, the Serena Williams and Venus before her and all, I mean, you, you do need that for a sport. You definitely need, as the men's had Rafa and Roger for the longest time, they had Agassi for a while. You do need that one, that one guiding light, I guess, or that, that how do you say it? Um, not guiding light, but that, that, that person that everybody gravitates to. And I, uh, it has to be a personality as well. I mean, you have to have a number one that's a great ambassador for the sport and, and somebody that keeps on winning that the sponsors want to attach themselves to. And uh, so on, in that perspective, that worldwide person that's known does help the game as well. So it depends on how you look at it. You know, it depends from a player's perspective. It's great that it's open from a, from a marketing perspective. I think I'd rather have one person that's consistently there that everybody's trying to knock off. And it could be Iga Sriantek at 22. She's already got four majors, right? And she made the the quarters here at the Wimbledon for the first time. So, you know, she's defending yeah. U.S. Open champ. She could have more. She's kind of quiet, but she's definitely a, a well-regarded sports person. Uh, before I let you go, Mark, the, yeah. uh, the Canadian Tennis Championships coming up uh, in less than a month in Toronto and Montreal. With mm-hmm. the with the news that they're expanding prize money, they're equalizing money on the men's and women's side over the next few years, and making the top players, all of them, go to these events where you're you've got the top forty committed on the men's and women's side to both. How good is that yeah. for tennis in our country? You know what? It's fantastic. I mean, especially uh, I'm going to say selfishly from a tennis Manitoba perspective. I mean, the better the tournaments do at the uh, at the gate at the admissions, the more money that trickles down to all of the provinces. So we uh, we are funded based on how how that tournament goes and uh, for the for the females and for the males. So um, I, it's fantastic from a growth perspective. It gives us more financial resources to go and expand the game in our in our section of the of the country and. Uh, uh, having this when I saw that announcement, I knew it was coming down the pipeline for a while now, and uh, it, it does wonders for our sport, and it helps us open facilities like we're opening up at West St. Paul, and we're going to be hosting a, a challenger tournament there next next month, and it's that type of money that helps us achieve um, you know, facilities for our local players that, that our players can play at and develop at and gives us more opportunity to play for, for the kids, for, for adults, for seniors, you name it, and for schools, for schools to go and use facilities. So it, it's so many levels to, to your question. It's a great question, and uh, it definitely helps. When I saw that, it helps, and it'll help attract the best players to come here, which means uh, it'll translate to good sales at the uh, good ticket sales at the, at the gate. Mark, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this, and uh, we'll check in right before the Challenger event. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. Take care. That's Mark Art, Executive Director of Tennis Manitoba. We'll take a break and tell you about history being made on the Cincinnati Reds. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell. Until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn.